Uh, I've done the best I can. <laughs> That's why we don't video. <laughs> okay, so we start our Advent series today, Simply Christmas. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three headings that you saw towards the end of the intro video there. And they're in the cards as well. So pick one up because it tells you what's going on, a bit about the, the series and what's happening each week. Um, so, first week, less spending, more giving. And we're going to look at consumerism. Next week, less rush, more time. We're going to look at priorities. And the final week, less me, more Jesus is about worship. Now, on the 10th of December, that final week, we're going to be paying for the drinks out on the van again like we did last year, remember? Yeah? But, you know, last year, some people were put off by the fact that they were free. They was like, well, can we give something to somebody, please? This is a bit... So we're going to put a, a bottle out there and we're going to ask people to give towards a water charity, a clean water charity, because you can't get much more simple than clean water, can you? So that's what we're going to do. We've also been asked to do some carol singing out there, backed by special demand request. So we're just working that out, and we're going to get that, uh, get that sorted as well for, for, next, for the 10th of December. Then after that service, as we've heard, we've got Messy Church, and we've got some families and kids from the community coming to join us. So that's going to be a good day, isn't it? Well, two of you think so. Um, <laughs> and as Phil said, if you want to come to Messy Church booking, you haven't got a booking to come to the main service, but if you're coming to Messy Church, kids and families, then booking for that. And then we're going to pull it all together for our carol service on the 17th of December, where our kids' church are going to be singing to us, they're going to be taking part. We're going to have the voice squad from the school coming again. Remember they came last December? They're coming, they're doing three songs for us can I encourage you to invite folks to that service on the 17th yeah folks are always more willing to come to church at Christmas I mentioned it to someone who was retiring on Friday and they said will the Littleys be singing will I, will I have a bit of a blot and I was like they'll be singing they'll be singing so if you've got a child who's taking part then invite grandparents aunts uncles invite everyone if if you haven't got a child singing, still invite aunts, uncles, grandparents and, and everybody else. I've been, we've been told off by uh, Phil Begg's mother because we've done it on the wrong week. She's not here for the week that we're doing it. I did tell him he could invite her down a week earlier, but he wasn't so keen on that idea for some reason. Does she listen to the podcast, Phil? <laughs> anyway. But... It'd be great because when we had the choir last year, they brought family and friends, didn't they? We had family and friends come and join us and they're going to be coming again, hopefully. So 17th, make sure you're here early to get your seat. And if you need to give it up for a visitor, give it up for a visitor. Now, if you, it's been a bit of a hectic morning, so just bear with me for one second. It's, uh, I'm just going to uh, get myself a bit more comfortable. It's been a bit, I'm just going to take my shoes off. So, simply Christmas, chance to reflect on what? What's wrong? He's a bit off putting. <laughs> it is for Phil Beggy's closest to the feet. <laughs> you know what? Comfortable can be distracting sometimes, can't it? Yeah? I'm going to put my shoes on because otherwise. I'm going to have uh, Cheerios in my socks. 
it can be distracting, can't it? A comf- something comfortable. And you know what? We can know the Christmas story so well that it becomes distracting. You know, we can trot it off, can't we? Mary, angel, Joseph, angel, donkey, Bethlehem, innkeeper, stable. Angels, shepherds, lamb, star, wise men, evil king, presents. Job done till next year. We can get wrapped up in the coziness of the Christmas story, can't we? But you know what? This is a story that contains some really significant and deep truths which we're going to look at and can maybe impact how we celebrate Christmas. Now, there's no hiding, bear with me. There's no hiding from the fact that four weeks today will be Christmas Eve. For some, that will be great news, a great source of excitement. Others may be sat there a bit anxious thinking about everything that's got to be done between now and then. And some of you are probably sat there thinking, I can't wait till five weeks tomorrow, today, when it's all over. And you know what? We recognise that Christmas stirs up a whole range of emotions, positive and negative. And this series, we're not here to tell you how you should or shouldn't celebrate Christmas. But over the next few weeks, we want everyone to become enthusiastic over Christmas. For the right reasons, because we're going to look and we're going to re-examine the real story behind it. Is that okay? So let's go back to Bethlehem then. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. The birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went their own way, went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and he was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger, because there was no guest room available for them. We know it well, don't we? But Jesus, he was born at a dangerous time, the time of the Caesars, the time of the Roman Empire, which stretched from what we know as India now all the way across Europe to this island here. Most of what the known world was at the time, the empire covered it. As we read, Caesar Augustus had emerged as the head of this empire. And you know what? People were talking about entering into a golden age of the Roman Empire. With an empire covering that geographic span, there were going to be competing voices and clashes. But Augustus, which actually means majesty or deity, he was seen as a great leader because he'd brought peace to the empire. And he was seen as the one to bring universal peace, which is an interesting phrase for us. Something else that's interesting that started to happen then in the Roman Empire. There was a state religion at the time, and we're going to learn a bit of Latin now. You're underwhelmed, I can tell. There was a state religion called Religio. It was all the mythology and the many gods and deities in the Romans' history that they worshipped. It was part of the state. Apparently many people didn't actually believe in it, but it was a state thing, so you had to participate in it. It was a non-negotiable. But in addition to the Religio, your family could do what you wanted. So you could worship your dead relatives if you so wished. And that was called the superstitio. Superstitio. Nobody cared what you worshipped on your own as long as you participated in the religio. 
you had to do that. Now Caesar, Augustus, followed on from Julius Caesar, well done Mr. Moles, who after his death had been declared divine. Now that, like us, it's, it, would we make somebody a leader, a politician divine? The Queen? Mr. Trump? Would we make them divine after death? It's a bit weird for us to think about it like that, isn't it? But back then, if you were a popular leader, you were worshipped and people built temples for you. Now the interesting thing was Augustus, Caesar Augustus, didn't declare himself a god, but he encouraged others to see Julius Caesar as a god. Hmm. So if Julius Caesar was God, that would make Caesar, who followed him, the son of God. Hmm, interesting. And he was okay with that title. And you know what? They, they used to get on the coins. You know you get your coin and there's words printed around the outside. They used to print things on like, Salvation is found in none other than Augustus. There is no other name given to men by which they may be saved. All this was part of the religio. But then we have this event back in Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus sets up a collision course for the emperors after Augustus. Because in the time between the birth and Jesus hitting 30, people started to, and, and beyond his death, people started to follow and worship a crucified rabbi who they said was resurrected. And in fact, because he was resurrected, that proved that he is God. If you go to Acts 4, uh, verse 12, Peter's on trial, he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Familiar words to what we've just heard? Peter's been really political here. He's saying Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, not Caesar. And this is really subversive stuff, this. Remember in the empire, people could worship whoever, whatever they wanted to as part of the superstitio. As long as you participated in the religio. So you could worship Jesus, but as long as you took part in the, in the religio as well, that wasn't a problem. Christians got into trouble because they said, I worship Jesus, I cannot worship Caesar. Caesar isn't God. You know what, the Christians, they were rebels. Who wants to be a rebel? Yeah, a few more than before. Any rebels? Yeah. yeah, 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 throw things at me, go on, yeah. So this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a rebel. The king of kings... Not Caesar. The king of kings was born into a very ordinary little town, full of shepherds, under an evil empire and a wicked king. Remember Herod? Who tried to have him killed? The king of kings, the son of God, slipped into our world and started to turn things around. Story by story, relationship by relationship. Oh, this isn't a comfortable Christmas story, is it? This is revolution. That's the history lesson. What does that mean for us today as we approach Christmas in 2017? Well, what if we still live in a, a world of many gods? Look around you. Think about it. What are the Caesars in your life? What Caesars are demanding your allegiance? 
follow me and I'll bring you peace and happiness. I'm not talking maybe about a person. Just look at all the adverts we're being bombarded with at the moment. And this isn't a criticism of any of the companies that you'll see up there. They're basically saying, if you want a magical Christmas, you need this in your life. So many of them contain subliminal messages, don't they? Some are more blatant. One department store has got the slogan this year, hashtag, because everything's got to be a hashtag if it's important, you shall. Which, that takes you back to your childhood, doesn't it? And the story of Cinderella, you shall go to the ball. You've got to have this if you're going to meet the beautiful princess or Prince Charming if you're going to live happily ever after. Get this and you're going to celebrate well. We can envy other people's possessions and stuff, can't we? Cars, houses, holidays. And we do because we live in the kingdom of more. And if a little bit is good, more is better. And therefore, a lot has got to be the best. Just a little bit more and you'll get satisfaction. If you just get this thing, if we just go there, we'll have a better Christmas. You know, we've had years of record low interest rates, haven't we? They've increased slightly to what previously was an unprecedented low. Why, why has that been so low? Well, low interest rates were supposed to encourage spending. And some voices were saying we had to spend our way out of the financial crisis we were in. Now, I studied a bit of economics and I understand that theory about low interest rates. You don't get returns on your money, so people are more likely to spend it. But how does spending more money get you out of a mess that was created by debt, apparently? It's a religio, isn't it? It's a religio. Let's have a look at some figures, some numbers around Christmas. Spending on Christmas last year in the UK totaled. How much do you think? Shout some numbers out. How much? Two billion. Ten billion. Ten billion. Forty. I'll go brew. Higher, higher. Higher. 120, lower, lower. No, we've gone too far. Okay, put it up. 77.56 billion spent on Christmas last year. And this year it's forecast that we'll spend £868 per household on Christmas. I won't ask who's below or above that here. The average spend amongst European countries is 550. So we're doing our bit to up their average. Um, on average, households will spend £475 on gifts, buying between 11 to 20 people. The most extravagant spenders are the Beggs. No, not the Beggs. The Scots. The Scots. So my very good friend. The Scots are the most generous, apparently, and the Southerners are mo most frugal. Households will spend £220 on Christmas foods, 30 on decorations, 20 on cards. The majority of it gets spent on children, but within that bracket, teenagers get the most. If you've got kids, when, when they're little, you buy them a present and it's, it's huge, isn't it? And it, it, it may be not that 
expensive. But then they get older and it's about that big and it's eye-wateringly expensive. The average spend on spouses or partners is 100 to 150 pounds. And I've told Justin I'm going to do my bit to keep the average down this year. <laughs> Two-thirds of people expect to pay for the cost of Christmas in savings. And 9% said that they would use a credit card or loan. You know, surveys show that between 7 and 19% of people admit that they fail to budget for the festive season. And 75% fail to stick to the budget that they set themselves because just that little bit more is what's going to make it better. It's huge, isn't it? Huge. Just go back to that original figure that came up, 77.56 billion spent on, Christ on Christmas. You know what? It's estimated that the cost of providing everyone on the planet with clean water is 15 billion. We spend more than five times more money in a single year in this country on Christmas than it would take to provide every single person on the planet with clean water to drink. Could one of our little Caesars be the economy and consumerism? And you know, we can allow ourselves to unwittingly become slaves to false masters, can't we? Man's done it for, for centuries, for generations. You can go back all the way to the Israelites in Egypt. When the Egyptians started building, the Israelites moved from shepherding to brick making because they saw an opportunity to make money and they became slaves to the economic system who feels like that we gradually get busier and busier and we're exhausted by the economic activity it's consumerism isn't it the more I consume the happier I'll be the more can the more I consume the more money I need so that the more I have to work let's step back from Christmas a second it might not be money, it could be social media. You spend three to four hours on Facebook in an afternoon. How do you feel afterwards? You spend a day on the computer game. In the day's gone, the night's gone. How are you left feeling afterwards? Are you satisfied afterwards? Can I ask, how does consumerism impact the church? I'm not going to church today because they're speaking and I don't want to consume what they're talking about. I'm satisfied in attending church once a month. I'm not getting anything from church anymore, so I'll take my custom elsewhere. If we're not careful, church becomes what we can get and not what we give. Individualism and selfishness rise up. You may have heard about the McDonaldization of the church. Anyone heard that? Yeah? Now if you go into McDonald's, I've been once or twice, uh, if you go into McDonald's, any McDonald's in the UK, you know what you're going to get, don't you? Yeah, it's the same menu, same food, same standards, it's convenient. Even if you go abroad, it's largely the same. It might be called Le Les Fritz instead of fries, but it's, it's the same. People go because it's familiar and they know what they're going to get. The same has and, and is happening in churches, isn't it? Churches attempt to copy other churches that are successful in style and presentation because it's familiar, it's what people like, it's what they feel comfortable with. I'll give you 90 minutes of my time to come along because I know I'm going to be entertained or I'll, I'll feel better at the end of it. But if you challenge my comfort, 
Or if you inconvenience me by changing the plan, I'll take my custom elsewhere. Again, I could go on, but hopefully you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah? And it isn't new. If you go into Revelation, the church of Smyrna, they're recognised for remaining faithful and not choosing a convenient faith like some other churches did. Now, Justine read this and she said, oh, it could come across like a bit of a guilt trip. I'm not here to guilt trip you this morning. I don't want this to sound a bit bar humbug. We love Christmas. Yeah? We've got breakfast with Santa booked. I'm going. I'm going. Yeah? We'd go in there. We like Christmas. But depending on how you view Christmas, you might be sat there thinking, oh, this is just a telling off. We should limit it to one present. Simply Christmas, that's another way of telling us to rein in the celebrations. Or you're thinking, yeah, come on, we want to hear this. We don't like Christmas. It's just a waste. Who needs four types of stuffing on the dinner table anyway? We'll, We'll get by with three this year. But remember, we're following a rebel God. And you don't have to conform to the views of the world views of Christmas, do we? We can say no to the overspending and the excess. I'm not here to tell you how to celebrate Christmas. And this can be a sensitive subject. It can. You know what? Giving gifts is good. Giving gifts is a good thing. And we've done the series and we want to be known as a generous people, don't we? Seeing the joy on someone's face when they open a gift, that's a real blessing. When you put some thought into a present and surprise someone with it, and seeing them open it, it's great, isn't it? And giving gifts, it takes us back to what happened at that first Christmas. But this morning, as a community, if you look around, we've got people in very different situations. We've got some people on good incomes, we've got some people on not so, good, not so good incomes. What's extravagant for one person might be routine for another. Will we get the balance right? Will I get the balance right between excess and okay? Probably not. Probably not. How much is too much? How much is enough? I can't tell you. That depends on your circumstances. Will I be envious of other people who have stuff that I don't? Maybe. Maybe briefly. Maybe long term. Depends what it is. We all struggle with it, don't we? Is it just me? Do we all struggle with it? Yeah? Well, nobody's prepared to admit it. If you don't, if you've got this sorted, come and see me and we'll make a fortune with a book that we're going to write about it afterwards. All right. It's a struggle because we live in this kingdom and more. And how do we spend less without giving less? How do you do that? Surely if you spend less, you're going to give less. Well, practically, if you buy multiple gifts for somebody, buy them one less. If you buy one gift for one per, for a person, maybe spend a couple of pounds less on it. Would they notice? Maybe you could make gifts. Now, I've got two kids. And I understand that a dad-made Xbox steering wheel isn't going to cut it on Christmas morning. 
I can make it look like the other one, but it's not going to work the same. It's not going to cut it. But for those people that you buy presents for and you scratch your head about, well, what do I get them, what do I get them, what do I get them? I'll get them a voucher. Maybe you could do something else instead. Maybe make something. Maybe take them out. Maybe spend less on yourself and the food bill at home if you're looking to reduce spending. You know, I know a family who sat down on Christmas Day to eat dinner together. And the dad said before they all ate, he had another gift for everybody. And it was like, oh, dad's got another gift. This is, this is going to be good. And he handed out little envelopes with the contained a card. It was like, oh, it could be a ticket somewhere. We're go going away. Inside was a gift for each person. And on the card was a thank you note because the dad had bought on behalf of each person a gift to help somebody in the third world. A goat, a bag of carrots, a vaccination. You know what, there's still a cost attached to doing that and those gifts. But to the recipient, they give so much more, don't they? I recognise as well that as we do this series and that by challenging us on what we prioritise, it can raise another complication for us as a church that we need to avoid. And we want to avoid this at all costs. We don't want to get into the habit of judging and critiquing each other, do we? Each other and maybe those outside church as well. Ooh, I thought we were supposed to be spending less on Christmas this year. Have you seen what he's bought her? Mm. Oh, they've gone all out with their celebrations, haven't they? Oh, on the 17th, oh, the church has brought a good spread, good spread for the visitors. They could have fed a few homeless people with that food. Yes, we could, but let's not get into that because you can challenge everybody as to how they send every single penny, and it's not good. It doesn't look good on us as a church. It doesn't look good, the church wider than the church at Junction 10. It's counterproductive, and it gets people's backs up, so let's not do that. Is that really how you're going to celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace? We can be doubly guilty of it, can't we? Because we look outside the church and we bemoan the wealth of the wicked. I'm a good person, God. I pray twice a day. I go to church every week. I help people. And I've got no money. But my neighbour, who's no time for you, is very wealthy. And it's not fair. Turn with me to Psalm 73. I'm going to take it from the message version. It says, No doubt about it, God is good. Good to good people, good to the good-hearted. But I nearly missed it. Missed seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top. Envying the wicked who have made it, who have nothing to worry about, not to care in the whole wide world. Pretentious with arrogance, they wear their latest fashions in violence. Pampered and overfed, decked out in silk bows of silliness, they jeer using words to kill, they bully their way with, with, with words. They're full of hot air, loudmouths disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Like, th- like thirsty puppies, they lap up their words. What's going on here? He's got out to lunch. Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. They have it made, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it got on me? A long run of bad luck, that's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I'd given in and talked like this, 
I would have betrayed your dear children. Still, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I saw the whole picture, the slippery road you've put them on, with a final crash in the ditch of delusions, in the, brink of, in the blink of an eye disaster, a blind curve in the dark, and nightmare. We wake up and rub our eyes, nothing, there's nothing to them, and there never was. When I was beleaguered and bitter, totally consumed by envy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. I'm still in your presence, but you've taken my hand. You wisely and tenderly lead me, and then you bless me. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. When my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock firm and faithful. Look, those who are left, you are falling apart. Deserters, they'll never be heard from again. But I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. God, I'm telling the world what you do. It's not what we own, it's not what we do, it's who he is and our relationship with him. God didn't promise us wealth on earth, did he? But he will supply our needs. Maybe sometimes though we get our needs and our wants a bit confused. Can I tell you this morning what you should do to spend less and give more? I can't. But let's be honest with each other. Stuff doesn't satisfy, does it? We can go out and spend, but stuff doesn't satisfy. I'm not saying don't get stuff and anything like that. But stuff won't give you that magical Christmas moment. And if you think it will, you're living in the kingdom of more, and contentment will always be just out of reach. Now, bringing this to a close, and for some people, everything I've said is blindingly obvious. Spending less, I don't need you to tell me that. That's my reality. That's necessity because of the circumstances I'm in. And maybe there's people here today that are facing what they think is going to be the worst Christmas ever. Maybe unemployed at this stage. Maybe you've got family, kids asking for things and you just can't afford them. And you're dreading Christmas morning. Please don't go through that alone. Please talk to us. You know, I'm not saying that we're going to stock the house with masses of presents. But don't go through that alone. If you need to, we can point you in the direction of financial advice. You know, for a few years, the school here has been doing Christmas hampers for people. Last year, we took part of it as a church as well. And said, if you know somebody who's in need, who's maybe struggling a bit let us know what we can do to help and we're going to do the same this year so if you know somebody who's maybe struggling a bit who maybe can't afford some of the niceties this year let us know let us know have a word with myself Rach, Kev, Justine who coordinate it from here and we'll, we'll see what we can do simply Christmas it's not about telling you how you can or can't celebrate Christmas, as I said. We're here to love. We're not here to lecture. It's not saying that uh, Christmas, it's not what it was. It's bad now. It's all commercialised and it's bad. I don't like it. 
That's not what Simply Christmas is about. Simply Christmas is saying there's a better way to celebrate this year. We're not Puritans. We're not followers of Cromwell. We should celebrate Christmas. Yes? Oh, it's warming up. But let's say yes to celebrating what matters this year. Well, are those things that will last, the things that are real, let's say yes to Jesus this year. So as we go through these next few weeks in Advent, let's look out for our little Caesars. Let's decide that actually we don't have to do that. You know, for a few years, me and my friends took delight in buying each other the most pointless Christmas presents just to demonstrate the tat that you could buy it there. I think my favourite was the Margaret Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher Nutcracker. I think that was my favourite one. Let's get rid of all that. Let's celebrate with joy. Let's give differently this year. Let's not get angry if we see people who we think are overindulging. Let's love them. Let's tell them the story. Remind them of the real reason behind Christmas. Remind them that this rebellious God came and disrupted the Roman Empire by just slipping a little baby into a town in the middle of nowhere. Let that be our focus of Christmas this year. Let that be our source of worship. Amen. We're going to sing our final song now. We're going to take our offering. Um, if you're a visitor to the church at Junction, then please don't feel under any obligation 